Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So today we continue our gifted sermon series. We are in week two uh, of our gifted sermon series, uh, and much to the chagrin of some of us, I am sure, because as soon in some churches, as soon as you say gifts, people just start shaking, right? They're just like, oh boy, here it comes, here comes the fireworks. So much to the chagrin of you, I'm sorry, isn't chagrin a fun word? I'm going to say it as many times as I can in this sermon, I'm just kidding. We haven't even talked about the gifts of the Spirit yet, and that's deliberate, because we've got to get out of this mindset. We've got, in, in our Western culture, in, in our culture today, we, we've gotten into this mindset that we are after, as Christians, that we are after blessing, that we are after gifts, that we are after the stuff that God gives us. And so we are slow rolling this, because ladies and gentlemen, if God does nothing else for you, if God does nothing else, if he doesn't give you any gift, if you never prophesy, if you never speak in tongues, if you never get healed, if you never pray for the healing of someone else, if you never get anything else, what Jesus Christ did for you in order to spend eternity with you, that's enough. Just who God is, the person, the character of God, his holiness, his greatness, his strength, his power, we could go on and on and on and on. Just who he is, is the only gift we will ever need. And once we firmly get that established, then we can move into operating in power, right? Because the problem is the world seeks after those things. The world seeks after power and influence and popularity. And so as Christians, you guys remember, we had that Far Side comic, right? The School for the Gifted with the kid who's pushing against the door that says pull. We had that in the sermon last week. But that's what so many Christians are doing today. We're pushing against a door that says pull. And we wonder, why is it so hard for me to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Because you're pushing against a door when God says pull. We're trying to use these gifts in a way for worldly power, for worldly prestige, for worldly popularity, right? Jana and I used to have a joke. We'd, we'd, you know, when you listen to certain preachers preach, it's like, yeah, the louder you yell, the less accurate you have to be. But that's what we do, right? Because if we use these gifts really, really loud, look at me, look over here, we don't actually have to have any substance behind it. And so that's what we try to do. We use these gifts of the Spirit for worldly things, and God says, uh-uh, that's not me. That's not how I move. And so we've got to make sure that we get this right. We don't want to run after with the gifts of the Spirit the things that man runs after. We want to run after the things that God runs after. We want to run after God's heart with these gifts. And that means that every time we operate in the gifts, 
they should always point us to Jesus. They should always show us him before they show us anything else. If somebody walks away from, from an encounter where there's you know, a, a gift of the Spirit and thinks, wow, Jeremy did a really nice job facilitating that gift. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because the attention should never be drawn to me. It should always be drawn to Jesus. It should always point to the gospel. It should always be point to the Holy Spirit working in me. Never to me. So today, last week we talked about the person of God, right? That God in his character is enough. Today, we talk about the same thing. But this is part two, the sequel, right? Everybody loves a good sequel. Just joking, everybody hates the sequel. But hopefully this is okay. Here is the deal. God is the greatest gift, period. That's it. But the issue that we run into, it's not really an issue, but it's, there's an interesting theological phenomena that happens as we study Scripture. If you read through the book of Psalms, if you read through you know, any of the books where it talks about God's character, the Bible never separates God's character from what he does. Those two things always go hand in hand. And when you read these accounts where it talks about how great our God is, almost always in Scripture, it is followed by the acts that God has or will do, right? So in Scripture, it'll tell us how great God is. You know, in the book of Exodus, Moses will tell us how great God is. But then he follows that up with, remember how he delivered us from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. Remember how we walked out of Egypt on dry land through the sea, right? He always follows that up, and why is that? Even in the New Testament, when we hear how, God, how great God is, it'll tell us of Jesus' character, of his grace, but then it always tells us what? What Jesus did for us, that he saved us, and over and over again how he will continue to save us because our God is a God of action, and somebody's got to say amen to that. God does not make promises that he does not intend to fulfill. God is a God. Jesus is a man of his word. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. Jesus didn't leave anything done half-heartedly. He didn't leave anything done halfway. Everything God has said he is going to do, he has done it, and he has done it completely. Finished. Done. So you cannot separate who God is from what he has done. They always go together. And so today, we're going to talk about that. The second part of this equation, if you will. God's greatest gift, what he has done for us. We've got to talk about this. When I pray, uh, you guys can start clocking me on this now, now that you know my secret. When I pray, I always start my prayers out this way. I always say, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. And it's, it's simple. It's not, you know, it's not, not like Martin Luther up here with his great theological prayer. But it's the building block of everything God does and who he is. It's the basis. It needs to be the basis of our thankfulness. God, I thank you for who you are and for all that you have done for me. 
not for what you're going to do for me, not for the prizes that I have coming and the goodies, but what he's already done because he has already fulfilled his word completely and I owe him everything because of that. So today we're going to look at three things, surprise, surprise, to look at how God moves, how God works. We're going to look at first your work, then we're going to look at God's gift, and then we're going to look at your work again through a slightly different lens. You ready? Whether you are or not, here we go. First, we're going to start with your work, my work. So continuing on, I'm going to add, Jana read us that scripture passage from Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to add a verse here, but this is what Paul says. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I absolutely love this quote from Jonathan Edwards. I've said it before. It's so cheeky. I love cheeky quotes, sarcastic little stabs at us. I just love them, and Jonathan Edwards might be the king of them. But Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's like a kick while you're down, right? But ladies and gentlemen, it's true. It hits hard because it's true. And this is the first half of the gospel. There's a reason that Paul opens Ephesians 2 this way. When Jana first read it to us, this is the very beginning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Okay, I'm going to tell on myself here. As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, you know what? I, I preach the gospel a lot here. The goal is to preach it every week, right? But, but you know, we, and, and we, our aim, our goal here at the gospel house is to be balanced in the preaching of the gospel is not to preach hyper-grace over here where we skip over the sin and death and everything and we jump straight to God's love and mercy and soft flowers. Not to jump straight to that, but also not to just camp out in wretched sinners Ugh, and just stay there, right? But we've got to preach both. And, and I will tell you, I felt pretty good about myself this week. I was like, yeah, I preach both. I'm going to hit on this first part real quick because people don't like to hear that heavy stuff, right? And the Holy Spirit grabbed onto me and he said, Jeremy, don't you dare. It's not exactly verbatim what he said, but pretty much that's what he said. Because ladies and gentlemen, and this is the danger we have. We feel like we graduate from the gospel, don't we? Come on, don't leave me here hanging by myself. I've, I do the same thing. And in that moment, I had a graduation moment, right? See all the grad parties and everything. I kind of wanted some of that cake. So I had a graduation moment. I wanted to graduate from that side of the gospel. We've hit it a lot. We'll hit it quick. We'll get on to the next thing. We cannot. We can't. Because here is the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, this passage right here, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, this humbles us. And ladies and gentlemen, you need humbled. 
because it is, a, it is the characteristic of your walk with God that is going to make your walk an effective walk. That you walk humbly with your God, right? So Micah 6.8 says that you walk humbly with your God. And if for a second we forget this, if for a second, it's not that we live in it. I don't stay here and say, well, I'm lost in my sins, so I'm just going to stay in them. That's not what it is. But it is never forgetting that that's where I came from. It is never forgetting that if I unplug from the Holy Spirit for a second, I go right back to it. Too many times we, t- we treat Jesus Christ like he's this example to live up to. That is not it. Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross to be an example. He died on the cross to give you the power to live a holy life. But the second I unplug from him, the second I stop walking in dependence on the Holy Spirit, I go right back into this. I go right back into this lifestyle. See, we let ourselves off the hook with this. We give ourselves a pass, right? Because we look at a list like this and it uses really heavy words like lusts and trespasses and sins, right? And it uses those really heavy words. So we convince ourselves, well, if I'm not cheating on my wife or fornicating in other ways or doing all of the real heavy, you know, sultry things, I'm good. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? I'm going to drill you in the head until you get this. There are two ways of doing things in this world. You know where I'm going? I hope you know where I'm going. I go there just about every week. There's man's way, and there's God's way. Ladies and gentlemen, man's way is sin. Man's way is trespass. Man's way is lust. See, we hear a word like lust, and it brings up, we have kids in the room, cover your ears, kids. Children, cover your ears. I'm just kidding. But we hear these words like lust, and we think, oh, you know, sexual sins. Yep, I get it. Guys, come on now. We know better. Because I can lust after anything, can't I? Look at the United States of America. Look at the American dream. Right? What do we lust after in the American dream? Power, prestige, popularity, riches, wealth, right? If we don't keep that in check, we lust after those things. And guys, we can justify it. Man, when I was a kid, I wanted to play in the NFL. And I used to make deal after deal after deal with God. Man, God, if, I, if you just get me to the NFL, I'm going to, like, in all of my after-game conferences when I win the Super Bowl MVP as the best wide receiver in the entire world, when I win those, I'm going to give you all the glory. I'm going to be like, yeah, man, Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior. And that's going to, man, that's going to preach all the way to China, and it's going to save a bunch of people. Come on, God. But that's how we treat Christianity. That's how Christians treat the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. God, if I, if I can just leverage this power and get me just a little more prestige and get me just a little more influence, get my social media up to 2K followers. I don't know, I've got like 20. <laughs> but that's how we leverage the gifts of the Spirit, isn't it? We try to use God's gifts man's way. And man's way is sin. Too many times to count. Too many times to count. This is the trap that we fall into. But when Paul talks about living according to the course of this world, he's saying, how are you doing things? 
according to the course of this world or according to the Spirit? Right? We've hammered this home the past couple weeks, but we've got to get this right. Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the Spirit? Because anything, no matter how well-intentioned you are, anything in the flesh is sin. when, When we hit it like that, it starts to get a little easier to see you know how we, we, we say Romans 3.23 says all have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. So when you phrase it, that it's man's way and God's way, because see if it's just sin, if it's just, oh, the lusts of the flesh, and we trump it up like that. Look, nobody wants to admit that they're in sin, right? Nobody wants to admit that they have a problem. And so we, we fluff it up, Right? <laughs> We make every excuse in the book to why what I'm doing isn't sin, but what that guy over there is doing is. That's, that's sin, not, not me. I don't struggle with that. No. Right? The girls I look at on the internet have clothes on. Not much. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. But guys, even, what's our favorite Bible verse in the world, right? Everybody, your favorite Bible verse, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, right? It's the favorite Bible verse that nobody pays attention to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Man's way. Stop leaning on your own understanding. Stop leaning on man's way. Because every time we do, it's sin. And it becomes easy to see. Yeah, when, when I do it that way, when you phrase it, frame it like that, yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's tried to do it man's way, right? Everyone. This one of my favorites. This is in the Old Testament, but one of my favorites, Isaiah 64, 6. I love it because it's no wiggle room. You guys know this. I don't like wiggle room. I I don't want wiggle room. I want high accountability. I want high guardrails. I want, you know, everything to make sure Jeremy stays on the straight and narrow. And some people say, well, that's not freedom. I personally don't care. I want to get to heaven. I don't care if I have freedom on this earth. Because for me personally, when I have freedom, when I have license, I don't do well with it. I tend to stray more than I tend to keep it on the straight and narrow. So I would rather be squeezed tight. I would rather the Holy Spirit hem me in and keep me right in his lane. I don't need the freedom. I don't want it, right? Like with Jana, you know, in my marriage. I don't need freedom in my marriage. I am happily tied down. Happily tied down. I don't need wiggle room to go out with the boys every Friday night to go out. No, I don't need wiggle room. I don't want freedom in that. But Isaiah 64, 6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And here's the, this is the punch. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Ladies and gentlemen, you can do the most righteous deeds in the world. And if you are doing them in man's strength, in man's power, to the Lord, they are like filthy garments. The only way to walk is in the Spirit. You've got to be obedient. 
Because guys, I can feed 20,000 mouths, 20,000 hungry bellies, but if that's not what Jesus has told me to do, I'm out of obedience, I'm out of the Spirit, and those are filthy garments. On the other side, I could sit at a desk and computer program my life away. You think, well, that's not working for Jesus. If that's what he told you to do, then that is the most spotless garment you'll ever see in your life because it's in obedience to him. God's way, not man's way. And see, the, the real cool thing is, and this is what we miss when we refuse to camp out here and look at sin for what it is, when we refuse to let that sit down, it's like, oh, geez, pastor, that's heavy. Anybody new here, they're not coming back next week. But if we don't let it be heavy, then we don't get how great the other side of this is. Because for as heavy, as down, as crushing as it is over here, when we jump to the other side and look at God's gift, it blows it out of the water. When we see ourselves for who we are, when we see our sinful nature, it makes God's gift that much greater. It's what makes the gospel so much sweeter when we preach a whole gospel. And it's why so many people today are being robbed of, of the depths of God's love. Because we think, well, we just got to get to the good stuff. We got to teach them the good stuff. We got to give them, you know, give them the stuff that's going to encourage and uplift. But the problem is, when you don't give them the bad stuff, why, well, why do I need the good stuff? And guys, if, I don't know if you listen, if you've been listening to the skeptics around you, to the world around you, I think part of the problem with the church today is we stopped listening. You know, we assume, oh, well, they're sinful, they're living in darkness, I don't need to listen to them. That's, that's not it. That's not it. Because how in the world are you going to respond to the world's needs if you don't listen? Right? We've got to listen, church. And if you listen to what the skeptics are saying, if you listen to the people who are against the faith, what they say is, well, I, I'm generally a pretty good person. I don't, I don't really need a savior. I don't need saving. I can do this on my own. Because we've skipped a major part of the gospel to get to the stuff we think they're going to think is good. Pay attention, y'all. The world doesn't think it's good because they don't see their need for it. So we've got to tell them their need. And when we do, we get to see the depths of God's gift. Elam and I were actually talking about this last week. I just keep pulling out these heavy hitters. Half the church is going to leave after I talk about this. I've talked to people about this before, and it always makes people so angry. But this is, this is, this is a theological nightmare for some people to try to navigate through because really what it does is I feel like it exposes a lot of shallow theology but Elam was saying uh, in the car we were driving home from church last week and he said you know what dad if I had a time machine I would go back in time and I would stop Adam and Eve from sinning Aww. right that's that's good that's and that's that's good it's not bad but I said to him pastorly fashion you know I can't just let it sit said, well, you know, Elam, what's crazy about that is that God 
had every opportunity to stop Adam and Eve from sinning. And he chose not to. People don't like that. God had every opportunity. He could have he come down, smitten the snake, smited, smitten, smote, smote the snake, right? Just pff, gone. No more sin. He could have he teleported down there real quick, and right as Eve was about to bite the apple, just pff, slapped it right out of her hands. My favorite, this one's not mine, I heard it from Tim Keller once, but he could have come down and he could have put on a little video on VCR. God has access to that stuff, even though they didn't in that time period. But he could, could have put on a little how-to video, a self-help video. Adam and Eve, the consequences of your sin will be, and showed them atomic bombs and babies crying and, you know, all this stuff. He could have done that, and he didn't, did he? Now, see, some people get lost in the weeds on this. And I understand why this gets some of our theology in danger. Because we look at that and we say, so you're saying that all of this is God's fault. Right? That's, that's the trouble we get into. Because the world, skeptics will say, well, yeah, okay, pastor, you just admitted it. God can't love you. He can't be a God of love. If he's okay with all of this, if he was good with letting all of this happen and he just sat back and let it happen, he cannot be a God of love. But you know what? Here's the thing. I cannot give you the exact reason why God chose to let Adam and Eve sin. Because I don't know, I don't have, I haven't prayed for the mind of God on that. Right? I don't know it. None of us may know it on this side of eternity. We'll know it when we get to heaven. But right now we may never know. But we do know, we do know what the reason is not. We know what the reason is not. And the reason is not that God didn't care. The Christian God, any other God, you're still on the hook for this God. Any other God, you are still on the hook. But the Christian God, the reason cannot be because God didn't care. Because what did the Christian God do that was so unique? Paul tells us, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You see that? Jesus Christ is the only God that came down to earth and suffered a horrific death. And as if that weren't enough, being perfectly obedient, obeying God at every point, agreed to be sent to hell. There is no other God who can claim that. Therefore, there is no other God who can say, my inability to get involved has nothing to do with the fact that I don't love you. Jesus is the only one who can say that because he's the only one that showed it, right? Back to our God being a God of action. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. And he's the only one who did it. So why did God decide 
that the best thing for all of mankind was to allow Adam and Eve to sin. Because remember, remember, this, this, this sounds like I'm, I'm wobbling theologies here, but it's all the same theology. God's will is perfect, amen? God does not do backup plans, amen? God does not have a plan B. That means when Adam and Eve sinned, that was plan A. And God doesn't do anything halfway, which means when Adam and Eve sinned, that was the best way. That was the best way. And why? It tells us right here in verse 7, so that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you right now, if you are walking through suffering, if you are walking through something and you are wringing your hands like, God, why? Why are you doing this? I can't give you an answer. The Bible's not going to give you a verbatim answer. I can't open it to, you know, Proverbs 61, and it says, Jeremy, you are suffering because dot, dot, dot. That's not it. But I can tell you what God's word says right here. We have no idea what our suffering right now, the impact it's going to have in the next age. You have no idea the hard things that you are walking through right now, the trials that you are trying to overcome, whatever it is, you have no idea the blessing that that is going to be for someone else in the next age. We have no idea what is going to happen eternally with our suffering. But we are promised from a God who doesn't break his promises that it's going to be good, that it is going to be the best, and that there was no other way to make this happen except for to have humankind's, have, have humankind walk through this stuff, this junk, this heavy, heavy stuff. See, here's the thing. If Jeremy Allen Metzger is not a sinner, I'm going to save you all. I'll put it on me. If I am not the most wicked of men, if I am not a horrible wretch, undeserving of anything of God, undeserving to even stand at his feet and grovel like a beggar, I don't even deserve to get that close to Jesus. But if that's not who I am, if, if mankind never sins and I'm perfect, I've got a clean slate, then there's part of me that deserves this grace, right? Come on now, y'all have had a good week, right? You've had a good week where you've done your Bible plan all week, you've said your prayers, you checked off all the boxes. You start feeling pretty good about yourself, right? We've all been there, stop pretending you haven't, Right? And we start thinking we deserve something. And then God smacks us with suffering and we fall to our knees. God, why? I don't deserve this. Right? When you guys go to your jobs, you know, punch the time clock, and your employer gives you your paycheck at the end of the week, you don't fall at your knees thanking him. Right? <laughs> Thank you for this paycheck. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm so grateful. You don't do that because you put in the time. In fact, if you don't get a paycheck, you walk up to that employer and say, listen, jerk, we got a contract right here that says you owe me this money, right? But if you don't put in the hours, 
if you are wicked and sinful, like the Bible says, if you have done nothing to deserve God's grace, and he gives it anyway, that doesn't, that doesn't lift me up, right? That doesn't lift Jeremy Metzger up. God, I've, I've crossed you more times than I can count. This week, I have screwed up more times than I can count. And yet, I'm still standing here teaching your word. Why would you choose me to do that? Not because I'm great. It doesn't lift me up. It lifts him up, doesn't it? When the gift is given to someone who in no way deserves it, it makes the giver that much greater. It multiplies God's glory exponentially. And that's exactly what the gospel says. That God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us. Christ died for us. Not when we deserved it. Not when we earned it. But in our brokenness, the gift was given. In our desperation, Jesus Christ gave himself completely. And when that happens, God is lifted up. And that should be everything. When we get this gift, God should be the one that is lifted up. And when he is, and when he does, when we see that gift for what it is, it changes everything including your work. Because your work goes from being yours, and we just jumped off this sermon series last time, right? We're crossing sermon series. Look out, it's like Ghostbusters, right? When they cross the beams, nobody knows what's going to happen. We're crossing sermon series. Does anybody watch Ghostbusters? Anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? They cross beams, it's a thing. Don't worry. Look it up when you get home. Uh, but your work, it goes from being your work to being your work as an implication of the gospel. Because you see the gift. You see the God who has given you this gift, magnified and lifted high. And it changes everything. The Holy Spirit drops that gospel down into your core of who you are, and it changes everything. Because when you work as an implication of the gospel, everything you do is for God. It is all for him, for his kingdom, for his will, for his calling. Ephesians 2, 5 through 6 says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God made you alive then why are so many Christians walking around like they're dead? Right? Christian, why are you walking around like you're dead? But that's what we do, isn't it? We trudge oh, into work another day, ho-hum, punch the clock, get home, too tired to play with the kids, like Eeyore, right? Nobody likes Eeyore. I don't know, maybe some of you do. He just complains all the time. But we're dead inside. 
we go through this life and we're dead. We're purposeless. There's no point to anything. And it's because it's your work. It's because what you're doing is still yours. It's not in Christ. But the second you give it to Him, the second you turn it over, He makes you alive. Listen, y'all, I, I would love to tell you that even in a ministry position, coming in every day to the gospel house, that I'm, you know, whistling while I work, do, 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 do. skipping in here, you know, I get to work today. But it's just as easy to fall into this trap. So many people put ministry positions on a pedestal. You know, if I can just get that ministry position, if I can just get, you know, and it's, we secularize everything, right? Well, I've got my nine-to-five job over here, and then I got the church stuff that I do. And I'll come alive when the church stuff is about to happen, but nine to five, forget about it. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says, don't seek a ministry position. You are in a ministry position. Jesus Christ has made you alive. You don't need to be the discipleship pastor to disciple with people. Right? You don't need to be a worship pastor to worship you work at Taco Bell, you should be discipling every single person you work with at Taco Bell. And when you pass out those new Mexican pizzas that they just got back, you should be praying over those things that nobody gets any stomach bugs from them. Because at Taco Bell, you need it. Right? We all know. Nobody wants to say it, but we all know. They're just so good. But listen, y'all, No matter how charitable, no matter how much justification you have in your Bible for what you do, if it is done in your power, you will burn out. You know, it, it bur burnout's the new cool thing, right? Everybody's talking about burnout. Got to take your Sabbath so you don't burn out. You got to do this so you don't burn out. You got to do this. Guys, walk in the Spirit and you won't burn out. Because if you do what Jesus has called you to do, you're not going to burn out. He won't let you. God cares way more that you finish running this race than you do. And so you can take it on yourself, and you can say, well, I'll build in my own rest days, and I'll, I'll take care of this myself. Why don't you let him do it? Because he's way better at telling me when I need to rest than I am. But our problem is we run man's way. We run, I think, you know, not my understanding. Is it my understanding? My understanding. And so I lean on it. When God's understanding says, you will run and not grow weary. But it's got to be in him. I love how Ephesians, we end this passage, 2.10. We didn't read it this morning, but I love this. This is one of my favorites. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ladies and gentlemen, you are his workmanship. Literally in the Greek, his created thing. You are his created thing. Somebody needs to believe that today. You are his created thing. 
he made you. And what did he make you to do? First, he made you to be in Christ Jesus. Just like a fish was created to be in water, you cannot function the way you're supposed to outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot. We've got a ton of fish trying to swim out of water, hoping that Darwin's going to give them legs. And he hasn't yet. Because you were created to be in Christ Jesus. Just before anybody gets in there, that wasn't a plug for or against evolution. I don't want, I don't want to get the hate mail from everybody who's, you know, Ugh. secondary issue. I don't want to talk about it. I don't care enough about it. But we have to operate in Christ Jesus. We have to. That's the way we were designed to be made. And then once we're operating in Christ Jesus, because guess what? If you're not operating in Christ Jesus, you're still dead. You're walking around this Christian life like a zombie. But the second the Spirit makes you alive, what are you to do? The good works, which he has prepared for you. Not the good works that you want to do. The problem is so many times, you know, we've talked about this, this most basic definition of ministry. Ministry responds to need. The problem is so many people only respond to the needs they want to respond to, right? As, as worship pastor, my former job, you know, I used to, I needed people to run slides and, you know, run sound and all this stuff. I had so many people. I'd be like, man, I just really need somebody to run slides right now. I just don't feel called to do that. Cool. Not many people do. But can you do it? Like, can you just step up and help the church this week? I'm not, I'm not calling you to a life of servitude in this department, but can, right? If we're going to respond to needs, we can't just respond to the needs that we want to respond to. We've got to be paying attention. We've got to be listening. We've got to be looking. We've got to be walking through slow enough with our eyes open, not in such a hurry to get to the next thing. I tend to be very task-oriented, so I have the problem of rushing, you know, and I don't see people because of the tasks that I'm trying to accomplish. It's something that I, I still struggle with, and I need to slow down so I see people so I can respond to their needs. We all have to, but we can't just respond to the needs that we want to. We have to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. We have to. You are his created thing. That's how your owner's manual says you're to operate, right? You know, when you jump in your truck, you don't drive it into the ocean and try to get it to go like a submarine, right? Because the owner's manual says you can't do that. Your owner's manual says, guys, this is, the, this is the freeing part in this. God's already created the good works, Right? We think, we think that we've got to like conjure up all these ideas on how we're going to do it. God's already created it. He's already set your path. All you've got to do is walk in it. That's it. And, and that's where living in the Spirit is so easy. When you're alive in the Spirit, it is so easy. Because all you've got to do is surrender to Him. The, the analogy, I think I've given this before, but the analogy I like when following the Spirit is that living in the Spirit is like floating down a river. You know, when you're in a river, the current takes you where you need to go, right? So many times we view it as a road, and when the road forks, I have a decision to make, and there's God's way and there's the wrong way. 
and if I go the wrong way, you know, God's not going to bless anything I ever do again. And so we get terrified, and it makes us terrified to make a decision. So many Christians will stand at that crossroad, and we will just look. Let's see, Robert Frost says I should go down the road less traveled. Right? But God's will is like a river. When you are in the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, you just let go and let God take you. Let the current take you. The only time you get in trouble is when you start swimming against it, right? You start trying to swim against what God is telling you you should do. But if we'll just rest in Him, He's going to take us where we need to go. He's going to show you the good works that have been created. So can I ask you a question? Do you feel alive? Every day, every moment. And the follow-up to that, would you like to? Because this is how. This is how you go from dull, punching the clock, waking up in the morning, counting the hours until you get to go to bed at night, dead inside, to fully alive in Christ. This is how you turn every single day into an adventure with the Holy Spirit. Every single day. So today, I want to double down on this calling. Every single one of you has been called by Jesus Christ. Every single person in this room, every person watching online, you have been called by Jesus Christ. I brought up this rock with me this morning. Guys, when I was a young Christian, I struggled so much with my calling. So much. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what God was calling me to do. I had all these voices with me that just day after day were just like, what are you supposed to do? What's God telling you to do? We need, you to, we need to hear you say, you know, I, I, was, I played music and so everybody thought worship pastor. We want to hear you say you are called to be a worship pastor. And just voices and voices and voices and voices and voices. And, like crushing. And I remember one night, I went to, there was this like revival thing and the pastor talked about this passage in Revelation where Jesus gives everybody a white stone. And on that white stone, it has a new name written on it. And so the, the, you know, the altar call was, you know, come up here, take your white stone, and I want you to write your new name on it. Problem is, being the guy leading worship, I never got to do any of the altar calls, right? I was up there playing, so I didn't actually get to do it. But I took that white stone home with me. Because, guys, I was paralyzed. I, like, I had days when I didn't even know why the heck am I here? Why am I even in ministry? Like, what, what am I doing? Because I didn't, I felt like purposeless. I didn't know what my calling was. And so that next morning, I said, God, I really want a new name. I want to write something on this stone. And I started praying. And guys, I'm not kidding you. Like, I, I don't, I really don't play into demonic attacks very much. I don't like giving the enemy any more credit than he deserves. But like out of nowhere, when I asked that question and I was quiet, it was like every voice who had ever said anything to me about my calling started speaking at once. At once. No peace, nothing. Just noise, cacophony, chaos. And like I wanted to scream. And then out of nowhere, it cut to silence. And I heard the voice of the Lord said, you are called. 
And you know what I wrote on the rock? You can see it if you can see it. I wrote called. Guys, so many times we focus on the wrong thing. You know, we look at Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon preached about what it means to be a fishers of men. You aren't called to be a fisher of men. That's what he told Peter and the people with Peter. But you are called. That's all you need to know. Jesus has called every single one of you. Come follow me. All you need to know is that you're called. Now look, some of you know what your calling is. God has given you a specific calling. And so this morning, I want to call those out. Guys, if it wasn't for my wife, Jana, I would not be here today. She saw a gifting and a calling in my life, and she did not sit on it. So ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives, if your spouse is here during this time, pray together. Guys, please, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be silent on this. If you see a calling in someone's life, call it out. Don't let it sit silent. Call it out. Because guys, if Jana hadn't called it out in me, I wouldn't be here today. I didn't trust it. But she did call it out. She saw a calling and she called it out. Gospel House, let's be a church that sees callings and calls them out. So today, as the worship team plays through this song, that's what I want to do. If you've got somebody here that you trust, go pray with them. Pray with them. Tell them, I'm struggling with my calling. Can you help me pray through this? Tell them, I feel called to this. Do you see this in me? But let's pray together and let's call out the things that God has shown us. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.